Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you, church. It's good to be here today in the house of the Lord. I am preaching lectionary uh, today for this day we remember All Saints Day. And to start with, I want to reemphasize something Bob read with the invitation to the Lord's table. Because I think it ties well to the reading from Ephesians today. Just remember, church, that Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all, everyone who loves him, everyone who repents of their sin, and everyone who seeks to live in peace, not chaos, but peace with one another. I think that's really fitting as we think about um, All Saints Day and the gift of the church and, and how we journeyed together as God's people, because as I unpack in the sermon, um, All Saints Day is about how God's continual work of sanctification leads us in life. Now the sermon today is kind of like unpacking something. Um, so I went on a trip recently to see one of my sons who's in college. And when I pack, I pack things very tightly. I'm a very efficient packer. I did not used to be, I used to just throw stuff in a suitcase. And then I watched this video years ago by I think Mary Kondo, does that sound right? About how to pack, I see some people nodding their heads, okay. So when I pack now, I fold my shirts and I roll it up, kind of like you roll up sushi, uh, sushi in a restaurant, I roll it up really tight, right? And I pack it down, so I fold my shirts up and I roll them up really tight. I fold my pants up, my socks, everything up really tight and get it really in a bag so everything's really dense and heavy and I pack it all in like one backpack. Of course, the backpack weighs a ton, right? You pick it up, it's like a backpack should not weigh that much. What does he have in there, right? Uh, it's not bricks, it's clothes. And I feel like the sermon text today from Ephesians is like that. There's a lot of stuff we got to kind of unpack a little bit. So it'll be a different kind of sermon than I normally do because we have to unpack what Paul writes about, I think, to understand the message for us today. This letter is to Ephesians, and this is a letter that most biblical scholars believe was written by Paul. And it's to the church in Ephesus, and Ephesus is now in modern-day Turkey. It's more of a general letter. It's not like a specific issue. This is a general letter because the writer has not met the people he's writing to. You'll hear I'll read things like, I've heard of your great faith. You know, I've heard about you. So that's the context of the letter this morning. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross so that our focus is on you and not me. That your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds today. So we are people who love you more, people who repent faithfully, and people who live for peace, not chaos. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I share this sermon, it's a little different. I got to unpack my backpack a little bit with a few things here. First off, we call this All Saints Sunday. Now, the Protestant tradition for saints is different than the Catholic tradition. So who in here grew up or has been part of the Catholic Church? Can you raise your hand? Anybody been Catholic, right? A lot, right? A lot of folks. A lot of Methodists used to be Catholic. It happens a lot of times. Many times it's like a Catholic marries a Baptist and they become Methodist, right? <laughs> Trying to find some middle ground, right? We can be at peace with each other. But in the Catholic tradition, there are actually saints, right? Sainthood. We think of sainthood and being a saint a little different in, the, in our church, in the Protestant church, that is. We think of it as we all can be saints by God's gift of the Holy Spirit because, as 1 John chapter 3, 1 says, because of what God has done for us and loves us so much, we are called the children of God. We are God's children. You church, you watching online, you are God's children because of what God has done in Jesus, because God's love for us is so great, you are children of God. And as children of God, you will receive an inheritance. I read about that, Did you hear that in Ephesians, an inheritance as children. And the inheritance that Paul speaks of in this letter is this promise, this pledge of our future. This promise of eternity that begins now really through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we believe in sainthood, maybe with a small s, we're all saints. And today is about recognizing those who've gone before us. And we'll light candles and remember names of church members who've died in the last year. Because as I shared sometimes, you know, our country has a 100% death rate. <laughs> Eventually we're all going to pass and meet our creator, it's just, that's how life is. Hopefully a long, long, long time for all of us. And the process we journey on as we say yes to Jesus is this process of sanctification. But first, let's talk about eternity. Eternity is an interesting thing to talk about and think through because we know God's story and we find our place in God's story. We know that God created all things in the book of Genesis. We know that God gave us the gift of life. We know the story of God calling people like Abraham and Sarah into this life of faith. We know the Old Testament 
the journey of the nation of Israel and their journey of faithfulness and sinfulness, just like us as human beings are faithful sometimes and sinful sometimes. We know the story of prophets. We know the story of exile. We know the story of God being everywhere. We know the New Testament story, Jesus being born and teaching and loving and healing and then dying and, and then raising from the grave with the power of the resurrection. And we know the story of the ascension. We know that. But we also know how the story ends. So we know what happened in the past. This is actually what happened. And there's another actuality we know, the future. And that's eternity. We know how the story ends. In Revelation chapter 7, there's a vision. This vision of a great multitude has gathered before Jesus. This great multitude. There's too many people you can't count. And they're a diverse group. They're from different places. They dress differently. They talk differently. They have different cultures. They're from all over the world. Everybody there is together. And there's huge diversity. And it's such a big number, nobody can count the number. It's such a huge multitude. It's like a big tent vision of church. God's tent is huge. And everybody's gathered there. So we know how the story ends. Right? It's like watching a, a Netflix, streaming Netflix and going to the last episode and watching the end first, right? You know, you know how it's going to end. You know the series finale. And we know what happened before. And we live in this time between. We live in this time between. It's not like this is what may happen in the future. It will. And that's hard for me to understand as a human being. I think of like time differently. Like I'm used to going on strategic planning retreats with my company before I became a pastor. And we would, we would talk about possibilities. Nothing in the future was actual. You go like, what's our strengths? What's our weakness? What's our opportunities? What's our threats? A SWOT analysis? How can we make more money? How can we grow a business? You know, how can we make our sales goals, etc. But the possibility is not what I'm talking about with eternity. We know how the story ends. A good way to think about it for me is a poem about eternity by Wendell Berry. Sometimes poetry and art is a better medium to think about things such as this than, than regular prose. Eternity is not infinity. It is not a long time. It does not begin at the end of time. It does not run parallel to time. In its entirety, it always was. In its entirety, it will always be. It is entirely present always. I'll read this one more time. Eternity is not infinity. It is not a long time. It does not begin at the end of time. It does not run parallel to time. In its entirety, it always was. In its entirety, it will always be. It is entirely present always. Eternity always was in God's story of salvation. Eternity will be because we know how it ends. And we get to experience glimpses and parts of eternity today. Eternal life begins the day that we respond to what God has done for us. When I read Ephesians, there's a word in there called the road to redemption. It's a story about in Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and then how we respond to it. In Christ, we have attained an inheritance.
so that we who are first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. You are a child of God. Remember, I unrolled that a minute ago. You're a child of God. And in this story, this road to redemption, as Methodists, we call it the way of salvation. It's a story of God's love for us. And it starts by realizing that you don't pick God first. God picks you. You don't pick God first. God's already picked you. That's why we baptize infants. God loves you and knows you by name and has picked you. I had a friend back in Alabama, where I'm from, that played the guitar a lot. He gave away these guitar picks to anybody that would take one, and it said on there, God picked you. <laughs> God picked you. This starts by remembering that God picked you. Folks in the back row, God picked the folks in the balcony. God picks the folks in the choir. God's picked you first. And what you do as God's people is you respond to this. You respond to this by saying, yes, I accept the fact that God has picked me and I'm gonna live my life in a way to receive this gift. From some people, this could be like a long journey, like a hard, arduous task to get there to accept that gift. It could be doubts, it could be struggles, it could be things in the past that happened in church that keep you from accepting this. For others, it might come quicker and easier. But we all have that opportunity to say, yes, I accept the fact that God loves me and I'm beautiful. And I say yes to this offer of grace. You hear that in Paul's letter. You do that. And the way we do it is, first thing we, Paul says is you hear the gospel of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You hear the story of Jesus from a preacher, from the Bible, from a song, from a friend. You hear the word, you know that God picked you. And you say, I wanna walk through that door, that door knowing God's provenient grace has got me here, knowing I'm forgiven through Jesus Christ, I'm justified. I'm gonna walk through that door and then I'm gonna be baptized. And then through baptism, what Paul writes is, you are marked with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, Holy Spirit comes in your life and does something. Pastors are just like a, you know, we're just there, like maybe not even a catalyst, we're just there. God does the work in baptism. But through that, that's the pledge of your inheritance as a child of God. So once you say yes to this love of Jesus, to say yes, God picked you, say yes, I repent, say yes, I want to be baptized and I feel the Holy Spirit, then it's this journey of sainthood, this process of sanctification. It's where our hearts become so filled of God's goodness and love and grace there's no room left for sin. Maybe a little bit, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a process where there's no room left for sin in your hearts. You want it all to be gone. It's a journey of sanctification and that's how we think about All Saints Day. We all live to glorify God through what we think and say and do. The choices we make, we glorify God in how we act with friends, glorify God as we parent, Glorify God in our marriages, glorify God in our service, glorify God in our jobs. We do it in all that we do. And then Paul moves in this text in Ephesians to a prayer. Once he tells the story of salvation or this road of redemption, 
He prays for the church there and prays for us. And this is a didactic prayer, meaning it's meant for teaching. It's meaning that he wants them to pray this and know how to pray. Remember, the early church didn't have a Bible, right? They had some scrolls from the Old Testament. Many people were illiterate. And these letters were read out loud to the church. It was a form of prayer. He wants them to know a few things. He wants them to know and recognize God's gift of wisdom and revelation. He prays for them to be wise, to have wisdom and revelation. We need wisdom in our lives. We need wisdom as we pray. You need wisdom as you parent or as you, as you teach, as you work, as you coach. You need God's wisdom and revelation. In fact, we know we need revelation every Sunday. We do a special prayer every Sunday here before you read scripture. It's called the prayer of what? Anybody know? Prayer of illumination. We pray over the Holy Spirit to reveal to us how to understand the scripture. How do we use church tradition and reason and experience and the power of the Holy Spirit to understand God's word for us today? How do we do that? The prayer, the teaching prayer is, God, give me wisdom. God, reveal yourself to me. God, open unto me so that I can become more like Jesus. And then he prays for them to know the hope to which he has called you. He wants you to know, church, the hope you're called to. Now, this hope could be a hope of a calling, a hope of a place to feel like I'm doing what God created me to do, a place to serve or teach. The hope is a hope with integrity, though. It's a hope believing that God is working, but also naming things are true and hard. The word I think of in my journey of faith is I have hope with integrity. I can engage and navigate the world around me. I can interrogate reality. And I can look at that and say, these are things that are harmful. These are things that are not how God wanted it to be. These are things in my life that are hard. And I have hope that God is working to make things new and all things well. I have hope with integrity that God wants to make me whole. And I know that God has the last word in life and death. God has the last word in all things. That's the hope God calls us to. He also asks and teaches us to pray, to understand this immeasurable greatness we have in this inheritance among the saints. We have this inheritance among the saints. We're God's children. And you have an inheritance waiting for you in this eternity. Like the poem I read, right? Eternity always was. It always will be. We have that vision of revelation of everybody coming together from different places who look differently, who speak differently, coming together as one people. We've got to trust in that inheritance God gives us. And we experience it by the pledge of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides you and shapes you. When you pray and you feel the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, when you get that nudge from God's goodness, when you laugh when you shouldn't laugh. Speaking of hope in weird places, I was terrified to become a pastor for a lot of reasons. My biggest fear was I was scared to death to lead funerals. I was terrified. Like, how do I do this? I'm an engineer. How do I journey there in those hard spaces when there's grief? How do I do this? And then I did my first funeral as clergy. And you know what? God showed up in that moment 
in a more powerful way than I probably ever experienced. The Holy Spirit was in there. And it was weird in this moment where it was sad and it was grief, there was also laughter. Somebody told a joke about this person and the congregation laughed. I'm like, can you laugh at a funeral? <laughs> you know what, you can. You can laugh at a funeral and say, I know, I have hope because I have this pledge of this inheritance with the Holy Spirit helping me. And then God also wants us to know this prayer is know God's great power. This power we have from God's gift of Jesus, this power that helps us, this power that was identified and seen when God raised Jesus from the tomb. When we saw the tomb was empty and Jesus was exalted as the text says, above every nation, every ruler, every authority, every nation. In fact, Jesus is over the church. People like to say, man, pastor, you're the head of the church. I'm like, no, I have a role here, but it's actually Jesus. <laughs> People say, you're the shepherd of the church. I'm like, no, there's one shepherd and we're all sheep. I have a role as pastor here. I have a distinct role and a calling and an ordination, no doubt. And so does Pastor Chin. But we all have roles in God's kingdom. There's one shepherd and we're all, we're all sheep because Jesus is head of the church. When I read this, whenever I read it and preach it and talk about this text in Ephesians, it feels very individual. Like this is my job to do. It's my job, my personal journey of aloneness to personally go to God by myself and personally repent by myself and then personally pray for sanctification. It is personal, but church is totally corporate. It's a group effort because we have to be able to journey together as a church. That's how we learn from each other. We gotta be together. That's how the story ends in Revelation. We're not by ourselves, you know, in a tent somewhere. We're part of a big multitude gathered together. Reminds me of a writing Roberta Bondi wrote years ago of a, she was studying ancient desert fathers and this one person after journeying and praying about what it means to have a life of faith, thought of, thought of a circle. He thought of faith as a circle. Now, our church has two very distinct things. If you drive by Main Street, you see it outside of our building, you see a big cross on the two new buildings. And what's in the middle of the big cross? Anybody know? It's a window. And what shapes the window? It's a circle. It's this pretty circle. And this circle is, you know, circles are great. They have no beginning and no end. It's kind of like eternity. And it shows togetherness and wholeness. And this desert monk thought about it and said, we're all people on the edge of that circle and God's in the middle. And what happens if we all journey closer and closer to God? We get closer to each other. And as we get further away from God, we get further from each other. The only way I think really to get close to God is also be willing to get close to each other as church, to get close to each other as your neighbor. Because when we hold up our hand and said, I don't want to get close to that person, it's hard to get closer to God. It's a journey we have together. It's a journey we have as children of God of a shared inheritance. It's a journey that we all look because of what Jesus did, how Jesus taught and how Jesus challenged us, how Jesus healed us, how Jesus died for us, how God rose Jesus for us how Jesus ascended 
and how Jesus carries each and every one of us and carries us every day.